So today we begin a new series, a series that I am excited to get into. Uh, for the next few months, we're going to be considering Paul's uh, relatively short letter that he wrote to Titus in a series that we're calling uh, Order in the Church. And so my goal today is really just kind of fourfold. One, uh, to introduce to you the author of the letter, the Apostle Paul, the recipient of the letter, Titus. Uh, to try to explain to you, uh, just in very general terms, why Paul is writing to Titus. And then finally, why are we looking at this book? Uh, out of all of the, the things that we could study in Scripture, why are we uh, going to Titus this fall? And so we're going to dive right in and consider Paul the servant and apostle. In almost trademark fashion, Paul opens his letter and refers to himself. You can see this in verse 1, as a servant, that is a slave of God, and then he says, I am also an apostle of Jesus Christ. So the Bible, and many of you are familiar with Paul's story, but I want to recap a little bit of it because the Bible intersects uh, with the life of Paul, his storyline, uh, in the book of Acts. Uh, this is where we begin to read, actually, his name at that point is Saul. Uh, his name changed at some point along the way, but he is a Pharisee. That is, he is in this religious class in Judaism uh, that is the highest of the religious classes. He is one of the most religious people that you would find. And he and the others are working to actively stamp out Christianity. These are the same people who uh, put Jesus to death or led to him being put to death by Rome. They cried out for his crucifixion. We talked about him last week. They didn't like it when Jesus said to the man, your sins are forgiven you because Jesus was claiming to be God. And this is the group that Saul is a part of. He is very zealous to put an end to the movement called Christianity. In fact, our first glimpse of, of Saul uh, comes in Acts chapter 7 when, when men lay their coats at his feet so that they can pick up rocks and throw them at Stephen at his trial. The murder, the martyrdom of Stephen, Saul is there overseeing what's taking place here in Acts chapter 7. Uh, we, we interact with him again, and he reemerges in chapter 9 on his way to Damascus. He's leaving Jerusalem and going to Damascus to search out for more Christians. Uh, here's what the text says, any belonging to the way, and way is in capital letters, so any belonging to this movement of people who are following Jesus, he wants to search them out. He wants to bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. But while on his way to Damascus, on the road to Damascus, he has an encounter. And rather than me rehashing that story for you, let's, let's go to Acts. Acts chapter number 26 and we're going to let Paul explain what happened to him that day on the road to Damascus. Acts 26, he stands before King Agrippa, and he explains and gives his own testimony, his own account. Acts 26, we're going to start in verse 9. Paul speaking 
before one of the governing officials. He's under arrest. He's being tried for uh, the very things that he had been trying other people for, preaching about Jesus. And here's what he says in verse 9. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them. Often in all the synagogues, I tried to make them blaspheme and in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This is his past. Notice verse 12, though. In this connection, or for this purpose, I journeyed to Damascus. With the authority and the commission of the chief priests, and at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and as a witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from the people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they might turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And Paul continues, verse 19, Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but I declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem. Think about it. Paul was going to Damascus to persecute the Christians who were talking about Jesus. And now he goes to Damascus and he's the one talking about Jesus. And then he goes to Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and also in the Gentiles that they would repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple. They tried to kill me. And to this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and to great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer. And that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. That's the story of Paul. If you want to fill in the blanks, you, you have to go back and read really the entirety of the book of Acts. You need to go back and read all of Paul's letters that he wrote to the churches, and it helps us to fill in those blanks. And when we do fill in those blanks, what we see is that Paul dedicated his life to serving, being a slave to God. Paul dedicated his life to being an apostle of Jesus Christ. An apostle means one who is sent. And what we just read in Acts, Paul's own account, Jesus sent him. 
to share the message of good news to the Gentile world. That's a point that Paul focuses on back in Titus now. Titus 1, 1, 2, and 3. If you'll notice there, we could ask it this way. For what, what purpose did Paul serve God? For what purpose did he become an apostle of Jesus Christ? Consider that, that mouthful of words that we find. This is one of the, the largest openings we find in any of Paul's letters where he says, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, his chosen people, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the commandment of God our Savior. First we see this, that Paul, that Paul goes and serves for the, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. Paul goes so that, that God's chosen, his, his description here of the church as we know it, this, this, this has ties to the Old Testament where we see God's chosen people, Israel, being called out. Now he's speaking in relation to the church so that they might have faith. He goes so that they might believe, so that they might put their trust in Jesus to the Romans, Paul would write it this way, that faith only comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But how do they hear unless someone goes, unless someone is sent? And Paul says, I'm one of those sent ones. I'm one of those who has gone to proclaim the word of God so that others might have faith. Second, we see his desire is that, that Jesus' followers would have a knowledge of what is true. He goes so that they might be taught and instructed in the way of Christ. This is why Paul would spend uh, sometimes weeks, sometimes months, sometimes even years at a church. He would be there to offer instruction. It's why he wrote so many letters to the churches to offer them instruction in what is true. And this statement comes with an interesting and, and really cool point tagged onto the end because it says this, that, that he goes so that they might have knowledge of what is true. But notice he says this, which accords with godliness. This knowledge of truth, when I give them what is true, it leads to godliness. This is a great principle that we bring up often here. True biblical knowledge leads to godliness. We often put it this way. What you believe affects the way you behave. When we are behaving wrong, we can, we can follow that thread back and recognize that there's some wrong doctrine there's some wrong thing that we're believing in our hearts and in our lives that leads to such behavior. And then finally, we see Paul's end game, which is Jesus' end game, that, that we would have hope. And not just any hope, but hope of eternal life. Hope of eternal life. This eternal life has been promised before the ages began by a God who is incapable of lying. There's other great passages that we could bring up here that, that God is not a man, that he should lie. 
He's bound by his character of truth. He has promised eternal life, and he will give it. The message of eternal life and the hope that that brings, Paul says, that's a message that's been entrusted to me. That's the message that Jesus sent me out to teach uh, in, in the synagogues and in the streets and in the homes of people. I went to preach this message. One of the things that, that I think stuck out to me the most uh, from my sabbatical, I, I learned a lot of things about me. I learned a lot of weaknesses. Um, but one of the things that really stuck out to me, and I was actually uh, got to have some uh, morning time with Josh Chambers the other day, and, and this came up, um, is, is always have one eye on eternity. This world is crazy. And it's crazy because you're crazy, and it's crazy because I'm crazy. And there's all sorts of things going on. And certainly here lately, we, we've prayed for so many things. We've prayed for Afghanistan on many different levels. We've prayed for Haiti. We've prayed uh, for those along the Gulf Coast recently. We've, we've prayed for, for two years, it seems now, uh, for people struggling with health issues upon health issues, add COVID in, and, and that is just steamrolled and snowballed. And this life is hard. But we keep one eye on eternity. It's okay to keep observing the crazy. <laughs> but we do so as followers of Jesus with the hope that this will end. That there's something beyond this. That Jesus didn't just come uh, to, to, to secure us life beyond this life, but that he would, he would fix what was broken in this life, that he would make all things new, everything that came unraveled in the garden in Genesis 3, he will repair and redeem and restore. Oh, praise God for that. Friends, keep one eye on the hope that Paul speaks of here, the hope of eternity. It helps to balance things out. It helps to bring perspective. And see, this, all of these things, it's exactly what Paul did. Acts reveals how Paul traveled from Antioch to Cyprus to Pisidia uh, to Iconium and Derby and Lystra. And it tells of how he went into the Macedonian region to Troas and Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea. He, he went to Athens. He went to Corinth. He went to Ephesus. And back again, Paul went through all of these places preaching this message. And somewhere along the way, as he's preaching this message, he came across this young man named Titus. We don't know where. It'd be kind of cool to know where. But somewhere along the way, he was introduced to Titus. So let's talk about Titus, who we're calling the order of churches today. Probably the most regal title he's ever been given. But in verse 4, Paul references him this way. Notice this is very personal. My true child in the common faith. See, most believe, in, and I, I, I believe along with them, that, that Paul was personally instrumental in the conversion experience of Titus. 
So at some point along the way, as Paul went preaching that message uh, so that others might put their faith in Jesus, offering them hope and teaching and instructing in one of those towns, one of those places along the way, he came across Titus. And Titus heard the message. And Titus responded to the message. And what we know from other places in Scripture is Titus became uh, almost a, a mini Paul who began to do the same things Paul was doing. Titus, an apostle, really in his own right, being sent and going places like, like Timothy. Many of us are more familiar with Timothy. He's got two letters. Uh, Titus only has one. But Titus, a lot like Timothy, is going around doing exactly what Paul did, offering the message of faith in Jesus and instructing along the way. He's mentioned a few other places in the New Testament, and I, I do want to bring those up just so we're, we're familiar with those. The, the first place he pops up for us in that storyline of Acts is in Galatians. In the book of Galatians, which we, we actually, that was our last like main study we did, Titus comes up because when Paul went to Jerusalem at one point to stand before the Jerusalem council, the church that is there established in Jerusalem where, where the pillars of Christianity are, we're talking about Peter and James and, and John, uh, he went there with this purpose. And maybe some of you will remember this. He wanted to make sure that the gospel message he was preaching was the same gospel message they were preaching. Because Paul had been spreading this message and he was getting some pushback from certain aspects of Christianity and Judaism. And so he went and he brought Titus along as a test subject. Titus, we learned from Galatians, was a Greek. He was uncircumcised. He wasn't of the Jewish faith. That wasn't his background. And so Paul brought Titus along to see, are they going to make him get circumcised? Are they going to make him do some sort of work? Or are they going to accept him as a brother in Christ because of his faith in Jesus? And thankfully, they accepted him based upon his faith in Jesus Christ and didn't make him be circumcised in order to follow Jesus. That was Paul's test. He, he shows up again. Uh, we see him mentioned multiple times in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Uh, Titus had gone to Corinth on, on a bit of a scouting mission for Paul to see uh, what's the temperature there. Are they really mad at me right now? Uh, or are they okay with me right now? How are they receiving these letters that I'm writing to them? And Timothy is one of those that was a go-between for Paul. And uh, we read about him in 2 Corinthians, which, by the way, Lord willing, uh, that will be our next major study. After we move out of the book of Titus, we will move into Paul's letter uh, to the Corinthians, the second letter. And then he's mentioned again in, in 2 Timothy 4.10. This one's significant for this reason. These are Paul's last words that we have written. The second letter to Timothy, in chapter 4 particularly, that's the end of what we know of Paul's life. Later he would be executed. And at the very end, he's explaining to Timothy, hey, I want you to come to me. I want you to bring some things. And he's explaining what's going on. And he says, Titus has gone to Dalmatia. No doubt to preach the gospel message. No doubt to continue to spread the message of Jesus. And it's just an interesting point. Uh, I know not many of us know where Dalmatia is. I had to look it up. It's not where, you know, we think of Cruella de Vil and where she lived. Maybe, maybe that's where they got it from. But Dalmatia is modern-day Croatia. And so if you know Italy, and you know where that, that boot is that comes down, that leg, it's just across uh, to the east is Croatia. That is what would be ancient Dalmatia. And then at the conclusion of verse 4, Paul offers this opening prayer. Grace and peace 
from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. You know, these prayers are common in Paul's letters. If you, if you read them, most of them, there's an opening prayer for grace, peace. Sometimes there's a few other things included there. But they're not meant to be taken lightly. Paul did wish the grace of God, the peace of God that could only come through Christ on Titus. You know what? That's why he wrote this letter to him. This letter is meant to communicate to him the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why at the end of most of Paul's letters, he says something like this, grace be with you now. May this grace that you've learned and been instructed in, may it continue with you as you move through your life. And that same grace and peace by way of the Holy Spirit that Paul it meant, meant to be given to Titus, it's given to us as we begin this letter. This letter is meant to provide for us much grace and much peace. And those are two things that we desperately need. Every breath we breathe is dependent upon the grace of God. We're desperately in need of peace, peace with God, peace with those around us, peace in a world that's so full of violence. We need these things. And so Paul wishes these things upon us. And so we know Paul. We've been introduced to Titus. Um, very little written about him, not much to consider. Uh, but, but why are we referring to Titus then as the order of the churches? Why is Paul writing to him? And that's where verse 5 comes in. Paul says, this is why I left you, Titus, in Crete. I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now, there's three pretty cool things we learn from just that statement. Number one, Paul had at some point been on the island of Crete with Titus. They had served here together. The second thing we learn is that Paul left the island and left Titus on the island for the purpose, number three, to bring order to the churches that had been planted and established across that particular island. Crete is the fifth largest island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 162 miles long. Uh, it's about anywhere from nine miles to 37 miles uh, tall, as you would be looking at it on a map. Uh, it's situated just below Greece. This is a great opportunity. Flip to the back of your Bible and be like, I'm going to use that map. You can find it. You can find it right there under Greece. This is where it's located. It's a part of the Roman Empire, as everything within the Mediterranean Sea's reach was during this time frame. And so most scholars agree that, that Paul... Was, was released from his Roman imprisonment for a season. So, so think with me. We just read about him standing before King Agrippa saying, hey, this is what happened to me. After that, he's eventually uh, shipped to Rome. Uh, remember, they were on Crete for a small amount of time while he was under arrest. He said, we should probably stay here. They said, no, we're not. And then they, they ended up getting floated around the sea for a couple of weeks until they crashed on Malta. But then he was in Roman imprisonment under house arrest. But most believe at some point that house arrest was lifted. There was a bit of a probation period. And at that point, many believe Paul and Titus made their way to Crete. And probably a few other places along the way. 
But, but that puts it in perspective. But then at some point after he left Titus on Crete, Paul was rearrested, taken back to Rome, and there he would be executed by Nero. All of this taking place in the mid-60s. But, but sometime after he was rearrested, he's there in the Roman prison, he writes to Titus. He also writes to Timothy and probably a few other letters that we find throughout the New Testament. This is the storyline. Sometime around 65 AD, he would have wrote this. And so Paul left Titus on Crete to put what remained in order and to appoint elders in every town. Titus is given the task of ordering and organizing these churches. Historians believe there's probably 20 major cities across the island of Crete during this particular time frame. That's the potential of 20 different churches that Titus now has the responsibility to offer instruction, to help bring order and structure to them, and appoint leadership in each of those churches. They're new. Many of the people who make up these churches are new, immature followers of Jesus. They don't understand these things. And so Paul trusts Titus to do what he used to do, right? He, he used to go into those churches, and like Corinth, for example, he stayed there for 18 months, and he helped to establish leadership. He offered instruction, and then he continued to write. But here he's asking Titus to do those same things for these churches on Crete. But one particular way that order would be established was by the appointment of elders, this is the particular thing that's pointed out in verse 5. That is, there needs to be pastors and shepherds to lead these churches. Now, we're stopping here at verse 5 today. We're going to continue over the next few weeks to work through these. We're actually going to be on verse 5 for probably at least a week or so, uh, just considering next week what's an elder, considering what's the responsibilities of that elder, but uh, I want to consider two things before we close today. The first thing is this. Why are we studying this? Why are we going to Titus? I went into my sabbatical with 1 with John in the back of my mind. Like 1 John's where we're going to go next as a church. And, and spent the first week of my sabbatical studying, digging through 1 John over and over and over again. And then by the second week, I was compelled to consider Titus. Why? Like those churches in Crete, we too need to set some things in order. We, we need order in the church. And I don't mean to say that things here are in disarray. Uh, they are not. We are healthy. Uh, we, are, we are growing spiritually. We are growing physically. All of these things are good. But that physical growth is revealing some challenges for us. And some things that need to be addressed, some things that need to be set in order. For years, we have, we have planted and we have watered. That is, we have taught the Word of God. We've, we've drank in the Word of God. We've prayed and prayed and prayed. And guess what God's doing? He's bringing increase. And because of that increase, there's certain things that, that we need to look at and set in order and make adjustments. We need to order and improve our, our discipleship ministry. We need to make sure that visitors who need Jesus, membership who needs Jesus, aren't slipping through the cracks. That we're not missing people who need hope, who need to grow, 
we need to make sure, especially for those who find themselves in seasons of crisis, that they're not being overlooked or missed. Uh, and and we, need, we need to work on those things. Uh, one of the things Jim's going to come up even here at the end of the service and talk a little bit about our, our hospitality ministry, the idea of just, just greeting people and encouraging people as they come in the doors here, being, being able to serve people. We need help with that. But you know what? This also comes down to just basic things like, man, I need to know people's names. I need to know who we're talking about when somebody says, hey, we need to pray for so-and-so. I need to know what's going on in other people's lives. I think the, the greatest goal any of us could have is if, is if any name, especially when it comes to, to membership, they're a member of our church, is mentioned, you can immediately think of two ways that you are praying for that person. Two things that are going on in their life. You know, oh man, they've been struggling at work lately. Oh, and they got, that, they got their brother who's battling cancer. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about growing in discipleship, bringing order in those things. The second area we need order is our gathering arrangements. We're out of space. And uh, through many conversations that started several months ago, we're, we're working towards some sort of a goal here and some sort of a solution here. But this is an area that will require much order and much structure and much sacrifice on all of our parts. Because we're often out of space in this service. It's hard to find seats sometimes. That's an awesome problem to have. Praise God for that. Our kids' ministries don't have the space that they need. Uh, if, if you want to challenge that, come back here next Sunday night around 5 o'clock for Awana, and uh, you will see, man, we need more space. Somebody's going to die down there uh, because this is crazy. And so we need order in those particular areas. We need order to make sure that our message, the gospel we preach, teach, the gospel we, we share, the gospel we cherish stays on point, that it is Christ and Christ alone. He's why we're here. We're not here because we, we, we like the music. We're not here because we like uh, the color scheme. We're here because we love Jesus and we love everything that he's done for us. And we want to worship him for it. That's why we're here. And finally, it's time we do what Titus was specifically instructed to do as well, and that is to establish elders making sure that those elders meet the qualifications that Titus lists out here in chapter 1. We'll read them in just a moment. As our church grows, my ability to effectively shepherd diminishes. And that means we need other shepherds and elders and pastors to step in and begin to help bear that load along the way help lead and care for the Meadowview family. So my, my goal, my hope, uh, my purpose, and my prayer for this series is to bring greater gospel order to this church. And a significant part of that order will be the establishment of additional elders to serve alongside me um, in the care of this church. And, and I've already begun to pray for this and I'm asking you today to begin to pray today and every day 
every day as we move through this fall particularly, that God would give us wisdom as we navigate, as we learn together, as we grow together, as we make plans together. God's got some great things that he's doing in our church. He, he's got some great things that he's doing in your life and in your family. And man, we need wisdom and we need grace and we need peace in that pursuit. But the second thing I want to do before we dismiss today is what I like to do, especially when it's feasible. And that's, let's just look at the letter we're going to be studying for the next few months. And so if you're there in Titus, great. Titus chapter 1, uh, we're going to read this letter. I'm going to read it out loud. You don't have to read out loud with me. You can just follow along as I read. This one won't take very long. I think uh, many, many years ago, uh, we read through the entire book of Romans one time uh, before we started that series. Some of you remember that. You're like, yeah, that was, it was a lot. Uh, it was a lot. Titus won't take us that long to get through. But I want you to just soak in what Paul intends to communicate. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time, manifested in his word throughout the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the commandment of God our Savior. I'm writing to Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and the, in Christ Jesus our Savior. This is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. And if anyone is above reproach and the husband of one wife and his children are believers and, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination, for an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. But he must be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Well, this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths or the commandments of people who turn away from truth, but to, pure, uh, to the pure all things are pure, and to the defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They're detestable, they're disobedient, they're unfit for any good work. But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men... 
They're to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, they're to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. And likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity and dignity and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Notice verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, one eye on eternity. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, Titus, and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no one disregard you. Or remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one and to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Wow, we could use that, right? For we ourselves were once foolish and, and disobedient. We were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hatred by others, and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. They are unprofitable and worthless. And as for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me 
in Nicopolis. For I have decided to spend a winter there. Do your best to speed Zenus the lawyer and Apollos on their way. See that they lack nothing. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. All who are with me send greetings to you. Greet those who love us in their faith and grace be with you all. If I can point out one thing, the heartbeat of the letter is in chapter 2 verses 11 through 15, that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. What is the appearance of this grace of God that brings salvation? Jesus the Christ. None of these other things are possible apart from the grace of God that's appeared. This will be our recurring chorus. If you're familiar with the way hymns work in our hymn book, you sing a verse and then there's a, a chorus And you go and sing the next verse, and then there's a chorus. Well, the chorus of the book of Titus is chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. We can't be godly elders unless there's a chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. We can't set things right in the church unless there's a Jesus who came, unless there's a Savior who provides for us the grace that we need to grow in these particular areas. Friends, we need Jesus. And Jesus is at the center of this small letter. But he is in bold print and highlighted for us to see. So today, I I don't wish to leave here without either reminding you or telling you for the first time, maybe, that you've heard it. Our hope, if there is any hope, it's only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in the fact that he would leave heaven, live a perfect life that none of us were ever capable of living, and die a death where he says, let me tell you this. Let me make this deal. I'll give you my perfect life, and I'll take your imperfect life, and I'll suffer, and I'll die on the cross for all of the sins and the things that you've done wrong. I'll take them on me, and I'll give you all my righteousness. Just believe it. And therein is our hope. That's why I'm here today. I think it's why most of you are here today. Because you recognize that apart from what Jesus did on the cross, apart from his resurrection, we got nothing. And so we come back every week to talk about that same story again, to sing the same chorus, and to give praise to the one to whom praise is due. Because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But isn't it a joy to be able to come back week after week and do it again and again and again? Titus is going to help us to do it. And if you're here today and some of that sounds off to you or foreign to you and you have questions about that or you've never placed your hope in Jesus as Savior for you, today's the day of salvation. Today's the day to cry out to him. We want to help you with that. And so in a moment, I'm going to have you bow your heads. And if you have those questions, I want to invite you to come over here into our prayer room. We'll, we'll walk you through scripture. We'll pray with you. But let's also say this, even if you're here today and you know, man, my hope is in Jesus, but it's been a tough month. 
and I just need somebody to pray with me. That's the room for you. Or if you're here with a friend and you just want to say, hey, can you pray with me right now? It's a great time to do that. We want to be responsive to God's truth. We want it to lead to godliness in our life. And so I'm going to ask you now, if you would bow your head with me for the next few moments, we're going to be here in the quiet. If you need to pray with somebody, now's the time to quietly make your way to this room or pray right there where you're sitting. As Chuck started us with that catechism, we have a helper in the spirit who wants to work in us and through us right now. Let's pray. Oh, Father, these moments of silence are too few and too far between. This world is loud and obnoxious and distracting. Just have a moment here to be reminded of the hope that we have in Jesus. How sweet it is. God, help us to own that. Help us to turn to him today. Help us to turn to him tomorrow when things go sideways. When we get a call we didn't want to get, news we didn't want to hear, help us to remember our hope, our peace. Grace is found in Christ and in Christ alone. Because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. Oh, amen. God, we thank you for Jesus, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.